Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to The Wind Down. I'm here with... Scott. Hello, Scott. Hello, Hello Nick. Oh, goodness, what a surprise to see you here after yes. the, the five takes it took to get this going. But never mind, there so you go. We're nearly on our fourth bottle of wine at this point. Well, not quite. No. Anyway, so where are we? What are we drinking? We are in the uh, DYRSL this week. Very and nice. It's actually a, um, a bit of a, just not too far down the road from where we were previously in the DY Hotel. However, there's actually internet here. Well, that's fantastic because last time we were there, we had no internet. But I tried making some calls earlier and I just think it's the whole of DY has or is it Vodafone or is it the MBN or is it because we all live in Australia I wonder if we're actually on HFC here and the NTUs are broken well, there we are. Now, we said earlier that we weren't going to make this call technical, and we've just talked about HFC and NTU. So let's not, we go. Let's not do that. Well, try not to lean back too much, because we lose you out of shot. Oh, maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> cool. That's excellent. Right. Okay. Today's a really special day. You're going to tell us what we're drinking, and then once you've told us what we're drinking, and we understand what it is, and you've told us it's a pub wine, because that's what normally yes. happens, is we've got a really extra special guest joining us all the way from the Philippines over the internet. So we see. <gasps> If that kind of thing works. Ooh, no wonder we are not at where we were last week. Exactly. Okay. So what are we drinking? Hey, this is um, this is something people are probably uh, fairly familiar with. This is a church block, but the current vintage. So it's a 2018, fairly young, mm-hmm. uh, but oh, good. Um, it is a good pub wine. It's uh, tried and true. It's one of those things you can sort of guarantee will be a, yeah, a, a, a decent pub wine performer. Okay, wherever, cool. you, wherever you go. Excellent. I'll try it in a second. I'm just finishing my cider first, so I'll have a bit of that. But anyway, it's important that we welcome our extra special guest, joining us all the way from, I think, Manila, our friend Matt Cowan. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hello, Nick. I am very well. I'm superb. Absolutely superb. Now, my goodness, Matt, you don't sound like a Filipino. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, the accent hasn't hasn't changed yet. It's been five years, and uh, I guess got to talk a bit more Tagalog, which I uh, I've been a bit slack and lazy with. Oh well, you, you, you absolutely learn the language of where you are. So, um, look, I'm, I'm sure if people have been watching our podcast for a little bit, they know who Scott and I. Well, they know he's Scott. They know I'm Nick. Um, they might not know who we are. But why don't you take a little time, little time, introduce yourself to everyone, Matt? Sure. Yeah, sure. Well, my name is Matt Cowan. Um, I've been in the Philippines now for about five years. So I run a professional um, B2B sales enablement organization um, out of Manila, out of Makati, as, as you mentioned, Nick. Um, so we generally cater for, um, I guess, the technology space. So companies like Oracle, Microsoft. And uh, I guess the purpose of us as an organization is to generate qualified leads uh, for those organizations around multiple geographics around the world, including the US, EMEA, APAC, and Southeast Asia. Um, um, bit about me, um, I guess um, I've been primarily, I guess, in the cold calling game for about, I guess, 17 years now. Um, I, I, I do wonder when I'm sort of going to get sick of making cold calls, but um, I guess now my next sort of venture with this business is to train and, and transfer some of those skills over to my team um, so they can do the hard yards and I can I can watch them and uh, they can make me a bit of money. Um, so that, that's, that's a bit of an introduction to me. Yeah. That's very cool. So, um, um, so everyone knows Matt and I met because he cold called me. 
um, and actually said, do you want to go out for a beer, which which seems yeah. to work for me. So, so if it was Scott, it would have to be a wine. Um, but yeah, let's, let's start off the conversation. So um, um, for those of you who aren't in Australia listening in, um, Australia's obviously been through a bunch of lockdowns. We are now pretty much COVID free, apart from hotel quarantine or Melbourne. Um, and Melbourne kind of goes up and down and, and we have to. Um, but we're, we're pretty much unrestricted. We have to check in with a QR code wherever we go so they can contact trace. Um, and then if they do, they do a quick snap lockdown and then open it up really quickly when they've got things under, under control. What's it like in Manila? Very interesting. Yeah, is, is the word I'd like to use. The, the, the challenge you have in places like the Philippines and a big city like Manila is you've got to understand that there's, and as I'm sure you, most people know this, there are, I think, 120 million people in the Philippines and, and probably 50 of those live in Manila. Um, so it's the most densely populated city per square capita. So trying to do lockdown for about 10% of people in Manila is, is feasible for the people that actually have money. For the ones that live in the, I guess, the not so nicer areas where you've got six or seven people living in a house, it, it's virtually impossible. So the challenge for the Philippines was probably more at the start. How do they run it? Actually, most governments, um, the challenge would have been is how do you, how do we implement this? As we've never experienced this before. The Philippines, the challenge was just the number of people and the lack of, I guess, access to um, to money to be able to do that. Now, probably one of the, 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 the biggest things for me, the fear I had when the lockdown hit the Philippines was, you know, are we going to get martial law? Are things, you know, being in a, I guess, a developing but still third world country, um, there were some concerns around that. But actually, I have to admit, it was all all in the head, all in the mind. Um, I was actually very impressed with how things went. Yes, there were a lot of people that did go hungry and a lot of people are losing their livelihoods. Um, but at the same time, what uh, what they've managed to do is sort of mild down the lockdown a little bit and open things up to the point where you've got to wear a mask and a face mask, there's contact tracing. You can't leave your city where you are and half the time you can go for a walk and the other time you can't. So it's a little bit mixed in the communication. Um, but they were able to feed the people that needed to be fed. Um, they were able to keep industries up and running by keeping sort of minimum capacity. Um, they are sort of realising now that... Um, yeah, they've got to open up the economy completely um, for the right or wrong reasons. Waiting for the vaccine is not the right thing to do. Um, so, I mean, it, it really depends what industry. And I think globally, if you're in travel, well, you know, good luck. But not everyone is suffering in travel, but generally they're not doing so well. Um, but if you're running a BPO where, you know, your market somewhere like Australia, like myself, we're actually doing really, really well. Um, Australia has seen, in my opinion, a bit of a boom. Yes, there are industries that are suffering there as well. In the Philippines, it's more the restaurants. It was a very big spending culture so on a friday you get two paydays in the philippines it's very interesting uh, per month and on those days every filipino in manila seems to be queued up at those atms trying to get every centavo of their money out um to go and spend in retail now obviously the negative of that is no one's saving but the positive is retail is doing really really well um so that was one of the biggest things that we noticed that when i go to a mall now um kids aren't also allowed out as well so kids under i think under uh, 15 or 18 are not allowed to come out their homes and anyone over 65 is not allowed to come out. Now, the kids obviously stops a lot of people coming out, right? So that's had a massive effect on uh, re the retail industry, right? Mm. But 
I guess ultimately COVID in terms of people, I can't really answer the question economically, we, we see it, but in terms of cases, um, COVID tests were never free here. So I think a lot of people didn't do COVID tests and they only started doing the free Red Cross ones probably about, I don't know, seven months ago. Um, but it seems like we're getting more of a herd immunity. That, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing um, more people are sort of less worried about it. There's less cases, things seem to be dropping. Um, they're not so worried about this new UK variant. It just seems that everyone's A, over it, and B, we don't hear about people getting sick anymore. So, yeah, I think we're on the way to recovery, and this year will be the, I mean, it's like a repeat of 2020, I have to admit, but I think by the end of this year, we should be seeing a lot of recovery. That's my my take on it. Real estate started to pick up. Um, rentals are a bit funny here because there's no more foreigners coming in, and people from our countries like China that would set up the online gaming um, companies that would rent, they'd bring their people in and they'd rent the uh, rent private accommodation and subdivisions, all that's gone. So you can get a great deal if you want to rent a place here now, but but buying here, properties are still still going up higher than Australia, which is quite interesting. And <laughs> Matt, what's, uh, what's internet connectivity like there? I know in the in yeah. the major corporate areas and that sort of thing, there's fibre running around and look, and we're obviously mm. talking over the internet now and we can quite easily yeah. communicate, uh, but I know initially, and because we, we've had clients with, with people in the Philippines, when people yes. were sent home, not everyone's home internet was probably what you'd call business grade. Absolutely, yes. So that's something that's been revolutionised in the last year. So that was my biggest fear, and a lot of people I know that ran, um, <clears throat> excuse me, call centres out in the Philippines was, you know, how are we going to get everyone working from home? Because a, you don't just have the connectivity issue; you've got the culture issue. But that's something we can touch on later. But the connectivity issue is a lot of the Philippines is running ADSL, DSL on very poor copper lines, and you can't run or make phone calls on that. Yeah, you can do web designing, but anything voice related, it just it just doesn't work. So what P companies like PLDT have done and Globe is they've invested millions. Um, I mean, they're pretty monopolized companies with tons of money in the bank, but they've invested millions and millions of dollars on converting everyone over to fiber. So actually, connectivity-wise, yes, in the office, Scott, as you mentioned, um, in the office, we've got Telstra, fiber, 100 megabit connections. We've always had that. Um, so having people in the office is never an issue. But having people working from home now, we've got companies like PLDT offering free upgrades to fiber and you know go from 20 to 50 megabits so it's actually really good i'm actually impressed i'm super impressed with the connectivity here yes we get typhoons that hit us 20 times a year and three of those do knock out the uh <laughs> the connectivity um but it, it's becoming rarer and rarer and, and i have to say i I thought that was going to kill my business, but it didn't. Um, I was very impressed with how quickly they revolutionised that that particular infrastructure. We we had something yeah. like that here as well. I think they called it the the NBN, the National Broadband Network. Yeah, it's like a typhoon; it destroyed <laughs> yeah. all our connectivity. All really. this upgrade to fibre everywhere, except I think the last mile's all copper. Yes. Um, <laughs> I reckon they're lying to us. I reckon it's all all copper, but that's a whole nother conversation. So, Scott, how's how's? I know, I'm going to come back to you, Matt, and ask you how, yeah, you know, sure. a bit more depth of how this has affected you as a business. But I'll ask Scott first. How's it affected you as a business? Well, it, it, that's actually quite interesting because we also talk a lot to vendors in the US um, and get some feel for look what how are different parts of the world handling it. Um, and some of the vendors we've spoken to have not actually been back to the office for nearly a year mm. versus for, for us um, we didn't really notice it that much we were actually set up as an IT company to work 
fairly well cloud enabled so all of our data all of our systems were in the cloud uh, we could access things sort of anywhere from on anything more or less so we'd, for us it wasn't that bad um, we'd done work from home sort of in place anyway there wasn't a lot we really had to do to get that happening what we did do was um, a bit of fine-tuning around the environments we had in people's houses just make sure that look if, if you're going to do a bit of work at night or maybe you know take it um, spend a day at home uh, previously yeah okay you can do it with whatever you've got but if you're going to be like five days a week from home full time maybe you need a better yeah. chair or maybe your, your desk needs to be structured a different way or a different bit of equipment or so we we spent a little bit of little bit of time focusing on that uh, and that was good uh, but look aside from that we we were actually okay um, and look even from recording the wind downs mm -hmm. we were quite easily able to get out and about in very like quite a few places yeah to to do that so we weren't really as restricted i think as as many others globally um, yeah, it sounds like Matt got off lightly as well. And uh, while they've still got some restrictions, it's certainly not as bad as it has been, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, and um, the I'm just thinking from the the point of view of some of our clients, um, security was probably a bigger thing for people when going home. All of a sudden, you didn't have the firewall controls that were mm -hmm. being in office. Uh, when they had overseas staff, you didn't have. Um, some of the, the security controls that were in place there and you sort of well how do we protect data how do we make sure that people are only seeing what they can they can't just go and do things because if they need access where are they we don't know they're somewhere in a house somewhere and you sort of well that's not great mm. um so, so so i was going to say i know a way that covid negatively affected scott's business and so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll share this you know when i met scott and the team their marketing approach was to get people together to do events, to get people physically yes. together, to buy them wine, to have a conversation, and that worked really well for them. And then COVID hit, and it's been really, really hard to get more than a couple of people together, right? Mm. Uh, it, it has been, and so it's it's easy socially because you can just sort of say, look, here's have a have a coffee or have a glass of wine or something like that, have a bit of a chat about the business, where are you having problems, how can we help? But yeah, all of a sudden there was no one. You, you're talking to no one. Mm. And it's very difficult over, even over Teams, um, even you can you can do video calls, but it's still, it lacks that sort of... Personal touch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so how's that? So your, your business, Matt, really, you serve all your customers remotely, I, I would have thought. You don't get a lot Correct. of customers pitching up in Manila and coming and saying hi. Um, you might, by the way, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. Mm -hmm. um, but how's that affected you? Because in a way, I, it possibly looks like it could be growth. It could be good. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, Nick. Initially, not growth. So yep. when it first happened, um, there was this panic, right? So whenever it was in March, when the, when the, when the Duterte announced the, the lockdown of the Philippines, the president of the Philippines, um, once we got everyone working from home, there was a, we were a bit more relaxed. We were all a little bit worried more about the virus itself. Um, but what was happening across the globe and even in Australia, actually what's, what's sort of, I think, happening in the US now, everyone was going for this transition of working from home. Budgets were frozen, nothing was getting done. So all the work that we were supposed to get um, during the months of March, April, May just, just didn't happen. Yep. So I, I sat there just looking at the amount of work coming in and I went, well, we can't sustain having 
staff on board and this could we don't know how long this is going to go on for if it's a couple of months we're okay if it's three months we're still good but if it's six months we, we're going to lose the business so i made a decision to fire everyone uh, it was a horrible decision it was one of the worst if not most difficult decisions i've ever had to make so we didn't essentially fire everyone we put everyone on a holding pattern so you still got a job um you can still look for another job um but you know, we can no longer sustain you as employees until things get better. So we did that for about, I would say, a good three or four months. Um, and then I decided to make everyone redundant. Um, and then I essentially, I freelanced for a good month or two, I'd say, while that process was happening, while they're on hold and while they're made redundant. And then I actually reinvented the entire business. So what happened in the Philippines is a lot of people were made redundant. A lot of people were left jobless. Companies, not, we'll not mention names of them, but a lot of BPOs shut down. A lot of vendors that were out here shut down as well and let a lot of people go. So that got me thinking, um, why hire people full time, Where, which, which actually legally was the right way of doing it uh, until recently, we were, and, and we were able to hire people on a project basis. So it wasn't just a legal factor, it was more of no one that had 10 years of experience on the phones, um, calling into Australia, um, getting paid high salary, wanted a project based, they wanted a full time job, healthcare and all that sort of stuff stuff attached to it, right? Um, which we just couldn't afford to do at that time. But, but given there were so many people that were needing work, we were able to get people queuing essentially at our door for project-based work. So all those deals that we were given prior to COVID had shrunk to about 30% of the size. So we were, we were able to cater a flexible workforce to meet the flexibility of our clients. So we ended up with about 10 people on our books plus um, that were, were doing three or four days here, four days here, five days here. And we were able to schedule that in a way where well, it wasn't easy to get started, where we could make money. Um, and at the same time, service the clients um, with what work we had. So actually, it revolutionized things for me. And I reckon I gained, uh, I, I've probably gained more that last year and this year than I've gained in three years of running this company, realizing that I can run things a little bit more efficiently and effectively mm. and, and make a bit more money, but at the same time, still get the same results. So a lot of that came down to the way that we managed our employees um, on that sort of project basis. We still pay very well. We just pay for the days that are utilized. We still offer leave and stuff like that things done legally um but yeah we just had we had to cater and the people in the philippines had to cater to the to the changing markets in order for us to give jobs to people that, that, that's that was the biggest change for us but yeah no we're doing really well now cool that's fascinating and that and that's cool and i remember a couple of phone calls early on in the lockdown with you matt where you can i don't believe it i'm gonna have to fire everybody i understand how how big a thing yeah. that was for you i know what that's like i've yeah. i've never had to fire everybody yet um but i'm sure that'll yeah. come at some stage in my, my career <laughs> so cool so that's that's fascinating that's how covid's impacted let's talk about marketing because we you know we've now just it's just in our business we meet with our cmo every wednesday um, and we we catch up and we record the wind down and, and um uh, our cmo's rick is actually listening in today he's here live and i'm so tempted to give him a microphone and say say something but he's giving me an evil look over the top of the computer there but um but fundamentally your business is all about marketing you know scott's marketing was adversely affected by covid um 
Scott, first, I'll go to you. What are some of the things you've learned about marketing in a COVID and post-COVID world? Oh, look at that. Look at the way I threw that in. Mm. Um, and Matt, yes. what are the things you're learning from your clients about what strategies are most effective? Because I know you've been a you know, huge fan of direct calling telemarketing when nobody else wanted to do it, and you've got huge success from that. I know, Scott, you're a big fan of getting people together in a pub mm. um, while other people aren't doing that and got success over that. So what are your strategies now? What's, what's having an effect and what isn't? Yeah, I, I guess just keep in mind to start with that um, I'm not a marketer. Yep. And you can sort of say everyone's a marketer, but I'm really not a marketer. I think we say everyone's in sales. We know yes. you're not a marketer, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen my marketing and you've agreed I'm not a marketer. Okay. Uh, so our approaches had always been just to, to, to find um, potential clients that have got issues in their business and look at how can we solve these with IT. Now, the IT part we know relatively well I'd like to think we know what's possible and we also know where problems are likely to occur and what's not easily doable um, and really it's just a matter of matching the problem to the best sort of IT outcome and the easiest way to do that is just to get people talking about their business where are they stuck how are they growing how are they not growing um, are they efficient why are they using 10 people to do that task when everyone else is using five and what what's actually wrong there so the um, the easiest way to do that's been over a, a, a coffee, a glass of red, a, a, somewhere at a pub, a bit of a bite to eat, and just do, just an informal chat, and you sort of get to know each other to work out, hey, is this something we can do? That's always been our approach. It's a slow approach, but uh, I like to think it's it's fairly effective, and it's fairly efficient, and you get fed as well. So it's yeah. So that, does that kind of work? So Matt, what what are your clients finding the most effective way? What what are the, what are things really that work? Question. Yeah. Mm. Okay, no, no, good. Um, so, traditional, in my opinion, still traditionally the phone approach. So, are you talking more the phone or a combination of phone marketing or just the marketing side? What, what combination? Everything. What, what are you finding works now? Yeah. Are you finding a difference from yeah. before? Because there obviously is some. Yes. What are those differences? Yeah. What's the secret source that good people question. listening yeah. can, can gain some benefit from? Sure. So, when COVID hit, what I think it did is it, it kind of sped up the evolution of cold calling and sales, right? So the reality is when everyone was working from home, it was hard to reach people on landlines. It was hard to, even switchboards didn't have the right technology to, 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 to connect you to people. So you literally call a switchboard and they're like, we can't transfer you. So there's Doris or whoever it is sitting at home and in, in a little room and, and getting, getting all the switchboard calls, which is unable to transfer to anyone because everyone's working from home, the direct lines aren't set up. So we had to adapt quite fiercely. And, and, and what works with our clients on that front and our front is being able to reach people on their mobile phones. So using sophisticated marketing tools like Lucia and LinkedIn Navigator, which work together to provide you with mobile phones. Um, it's a very good tool. Um, if anyone's listening, I, I, I highly recommend you check it out. Lucia.co, L-U-S-H-A.co. Not a cheap tool, but it's found out a way of scraping phone numbers legally, and a lot of the big vendors use it as well. So that was that's been really effective. Now, in terms of marketing. Um, everyone's been getting bombarded. So there's this whole fatigue thing. It's, it's probably sounding very re repetitive now. Um, in terms of Zoom calls, everyone's Zoomed out. Everyone's fatigued, right? So what I'm finding with um, what's working with our clients, I, I try and get a lot of content out there. And some of it's crap. Some of it's, you know, useful. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it gives the opportunity for executives to 
the ones that don't want to take phone calls to actually actively go out and research themselves, right? You know, I need to do a bit of lead generation. What's the best approach? Who's this guy, Matt Cowan, um, who keeps calling me? Well, I'm not going to answer his calls, but I'm going to read through some of his material. What does he do? Oh, okay, he runs a business and he's written some stuff that was actually quite useful um, on, on where we are as an organization. Let's reach out to him. So those are the, I'd say, the two main things for me that have worked and also what's working with our clients. It's reaching people on mobile phones, still the best approach, get them out of their day. Um, but a lot of the executives are even hiding away from phones. So getting out written material on LinkedIn um, and just trying to um, articulate what's happening into into sort of more of a uh, into written content. So get get as much content out there. Um, those things work really well. I think LinkedIn's become a little bit like Facebook um, in the last eight or nine months, and people are getting bombarded. I think just sending randomly sending emails out, set doing email campaigns and stuff like that now is okay. But no one's reading them, right? They're going into junk. Spam filters have got more sophisticated than the last year I've noticed. Um, so it's okay to do an email breach campaign, but they're only going to read that email 90% of people when you call them and go, oh, hey, you know, we've got an event coming up and calling from this vendor. Um, did you see it? Oh, wait, let me pull it up now, right? So, yeah, so those are the two things I've noticed. More content, people are reading more, not answering their phone as much, um, and getting people on mobile phones because people aren't answering their direct lines because they're working from home, mm. if that makes sense. I, That's fascinating. I did, I did notice one thing out of all of this, yeah. and that um, some companies have gone back to sending physical mail. I've always been a fan yeah. of sending physical mail. So you've got an actual item. I mean, you may get like 100 or 200 things in your inbox in a day or, or more, uh, and some of that's already filtered out for you before you sort of find that list yet. How many physical mail items do you get in a day? And if you get one, do you actually look at it? Yeah, good point. You'll actually look at it. You may toss it away, but you've actually looked at it. So if there's a message on there that appeals one way or another, at least you're going to see something. So I'm um, starting to... Good or bad, see more of that but, sort of but physical mail is an incredibly expensive way to reach a large number of people, right? You, it's yes, or perhaps it's a it's an old way of reaching a large number of people. There, there you go. There it's you a go. Lot cheaper I, than it used. To. Actually, no, it's not. It's more expensive than it used to be well, well, because there's less yeah. of it now. So I, I just heard that Prince Charles had pulled the pin on Harry and Meghan's um, postal room. So it used to, they used to have an address in, in the UK, and they used to get 340,000 pieces of mail a year, which they responded to each one. It wasn't they had a team. And Prince Charles has just pulled the pin on that expense, so they now need to do it themselves. And I think that's the ultimate slap in the face, isn't it? That's just... Uh, wow. <laughs> what do you do with that? Oh, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> Cool. Anyway, cool. Moving right along. So moving right along, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. I think it's been, yeah, super valuable. I think we've we've gone through a bunch of things. I think it's time for last words. So so my last word is, yeah, I I think I've learned a bunch of things. I think it's time to create more content and find people's mobile phone numbers. Scott, Um, I I think I'd still like to go to pubs with people. Go to pubs with people and just find more, find out more about their businesses and see if we can help. It's a very slow approach, but it's also a, a very good one for it it works and you you get to really find out where the issues are um i'd like to think we could probably enhance that by looking at even uh, small groups or uh, maybe uh, lunches or something like that with within peer groups where um you can get i suppose like an open therapy session in a way um where you're just talking about all your issues and you look at hey this is what happens here or we've done this or do you know that companies do this sort of thing now to get past that problem and all of a sudden 
because technology is a big field these days. It's not like the old days when there was, yes, there was a green computer or a blue computer. Which one do you have? It's There's all these things that are available now and all these different fields and no one knows it all. Yeah, no, so. for sure. So, Matt, your last words. My last words, um, I think... Not, I not your, sorry, sorry, Matt, not your permanent last words, just the last words for the podcast, eh? <laughs> yes, it's well phrased, Nick. Good, okay, good, good job. I'll, I'll read that, what I was going to say then. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, what I've learned from this podcast, so it's got a really good point. I like your approach, whining and dining. I miss that significantly. And that, in my opinion, no matter how many people say, oh, the whole world is going to be work from home and that's always going to be a permanent fixture, you can't take away personal contact. And the best and largest deals that I ever made was from relationship building from flying to Australia five times a year and meeting with my clients and prospects and that will come back um, so I've learned I guess the reverse is I'm looking forward to that to, to come back uh, and I'm looking forward to I guess getting more content out there as well and, and Scott Postal so what I used to do with, with Post I used to send copies of my book to people but it's not cheap as you say mm. Nick, right? it was costing me I think $15 per, per book so I'd send it to a, a managing director and it had to come from Amazon as well so that's why I wanted to go to Australia, I'd buy them and buy a bulk of them and I'd sign them and I'd drop them off to people's offices. Um, even though I've never met with them, I just drop them off and say, here's a copy of my book. I think that's a really cool and uh, and a very old school approach that does still work significantly. Um, but yeah, the postal thing, I want to start doing more of that. Just even if it's just like 10 out, 10 every month to, to 10 people I really want to have a call with. Yeah. I, I will say one thing, I'm going to a wine tasting with a vendor tomorrow night. Yes, at home where they're sending the wine. They're actually yes. sending the wine and the cheese okay. to everybody in the event, and they're going to talk through it as you, in theory, drink and test and sound, eat the cheese. And yeah. sounds, sounds super. So we're right up against time, guys. So I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, for me, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I hope, hope it's been valuable for you too. Scott, once again, thanks for joining. Thank We've you got very much. Half a bottle of wine here. We're at the um, DYRSL, as I said. Um, and we'll catch you all later. Everyone, have a fantastic day. See ya. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.